Come on in. Grab a seat. What time does the 7 o'clock meeting start? They almost missed you, Sean. Did you hear him? Try again, Sean. What time does the 7 o'clock meeting start? 7 o'clock. So thank you. Thank you all for coming. We start every position of neutrality here at New Freedom with a prayer, and Chaplain Lee is in the house. Come on and stand to your feet all over the room. Let us pray. Father, we thank you again today just for another opportunity to wake us up on this morning to see this bright and glorious day. We thank you, Lord, because it's a day that was not promised, but you saw fit for us to step into it. Now as we prepare to step into this step four, tonight, God, we're just asking you to help us to look down deep within so we can recognize who you are and how it is that you would guide us, lead us, protect us, and how we lean on you. We thank you for everything you're about to do. We ask you to use your manservant on tonight to speak with the clarity so that these, your people, will be able to hear the direction that you send. And with that, we'll leave here rejoicing and giving you all the praise in the mighty name of Jesus. Let everyone say amen. amen. Thank you, Chaplain Lee. Thank you, everyone, for coming. Welcome to New Freedom. Anyone in here for the first time tonight? Oh, good, a few of you. Oh, good, first of all, welcome. Second, let us warn you in advance, you'll able to experience us just a little different than other meetings of other fellowships you may have attended. The primary reason that's liable to happen is we intend for you to have a different experience with us. Um, and the other thing that we always do now in the last few months is, in the last few months of this year, we've managed to get ourselves on all three, all 33,000 tablets in the Arizona Department of Corrections. So we like to give Any of you got here recently been following us from the inside? Bunch of you. Okay, good. Thank you for that. We also are on 7,500 tablets in the Maricopa County Jail System. And it's important that you give them the shout out because they need to know that we have prepared a place for them and that whatever they have thought about who they were, we are here to help them reestablish who they are and whose they are and walk out in victory because that's what we do here. Yep. The other thing is we go through a step or so a week directly out of this book, and we use this book in 12-step recovery. Why? Yeah, the process described by the authors of this book has been proven to work for addicts of the hopeless variety, addicts to alcohol and other substances. So the whole purpose of this particular group that's been going on for lots of years is so that I can show you how I find my experience in this book and encourage you to have your experience with the book. Fair enough? And if we both do our job, we will share a spiritual experience in this room tonight. How many of you have been here before and can witness for these folks that happens? Good deal. Thank you. So by a show of hands, those of you that are following us online, you couldn't see their hands, but they're raising their hands. And the reason they raise their hands is to signify that they have shared a spiritual experience in this group tonight or in other nights. And what we want you to understand in 12-step recovery, when we speak of a spiritual experience, we're not talking about a philosophical engagement. We're talking about a sensory engagement. You will feel it. When you do, I'll know, and I'll call it to your attention. Fair enough? We would cheat you to talk to you about the power we call God without giving you a demonstration. Oh, that's another thing. When I say God, you say... Because we have people that, because of... Their experience with religions and religious people have some prejudice, perhaps, or maybe they just don't understand. And so what we want everyone to understand is what we're talking about when we say God power. is we're talking about a sensory experience of power from within. Fair enough? Yeah. All right, and so tonight we're in step four, which may explain why there's vacant seats in the room. 
So we're on page 63 of the text, and it starts out at the bottom of the page. Next, we launched out on a course of vigorous action. So who's the we they're talking about? The first 100 are telling the story of themselves and the first several thousand, right? That's the name of the book, Alcoholics Anonymous, the story of how many thousands of men and women have recovered from alcoholism. So how many of you have made an attempt at a fourth step? Oh, good, a good percentage of you. How many of you would describe your first attempt as something less than a launching? <laughs> oh, a bunch of you. So something was different between then and now. Something empowered their launch. So what we want to make sure is that you did have a tangible sensory experience in two, in that step two encounter. Where do we find this power? Deep down inside. And how do we find it? Sometimes we have to search fearlessly. So you may not have had the profound experience you need until you get to the other side of this, because this book at this time is written in past tense. Does that make sense? They're telling about an experience they had. So we're not asking you to do anything in faith except believe in the people sitting around you who came from one place and are now in another place. Okay. So then it says, the first step of which is a personal house cleaning, which many of us never attempted. Though our decision was a vital and crucial step, it could have little permanent effect unless it once followed by a strenuous effort to face and be rid of the things in ourselves which had been blocking us. Our liquor was but a symptom, so we had to get down to causes and conditions. So what was the decision we made? And why did I make that decision? Hopefully someone explained to me the entire manner of living that results in an awakened spirit within me. Yes? yes? So the decision I made was to go to any lengths to have a spiritual experience to stop and stay stopped for good. Yes? And that's going to require follow-through on my decision. And, of course, I'm going to need to know that that is the decision I entered into. Okay. All right. So then it says, therefore, we started upon a personal inventory. This was step four. A business which takes no regular inventory usually goes broke. Taking a commercial inventory is a fact-finding and a fact-facing process. It's an effort to discover the truth about the stock and trade. One object is to disclose damaged or unsaleable goods to get rid of them promptly and without regret. If the owner of the business is to be successful, he cannot fool himself about values. We did exactly the same thing with our lives. Sorry I read so long. I know in recovery rooms, we, we tend to wander. I do. But we need to read the entirety and then go in and deconstruct it for you so you know what they're talking about, right? We did exactly the same thing with our lives. So the first thing they told us is that they had to take a regular inventory and that it was a fact-finding and a fact-facing process. How many of you, as you wrote down your inventory, found facts, and then when you saw it in writing about you by your own hand, maybe for the first time, faced facts? Yes? Okay. And then it says, it's an effort to discover the truth about the stock and trade. How many of you would have considered yourself, or as you've grown in this, consider yourself quite possibly an addict of the hopeless variety? So one of the facts I had to face that of my own power, I'm going to die a horrible death and I'm going to let down everyone who ever cared about me. Anyone there? So I'm going to have to face that fact. Yes? And then I'm going to have to take that fact to the truth. Yes? Okay. It says one object is to disclose damaged or unsaleable goods to get rid of them promptly and without regret. So I'm not only going to identify them, but I'm going to start arming myself with the facts about me so that I can 
see how myself manifests and move in this new manner of living, right? Using that experience to lift up others. So it's starting to make sense. And if this is sort of foggy to some of you, how many of you have heard people talk about, I got to live in my truth? How many of you were living in your truth and addiction? And in your truth, you know, only suckers pay rent. I, I choose to be homeless. So this isn't about you living in your truth, and it's not about me living. I don't live in my truth or your truth. I live in the truth. Does that make sense? Okay. So then, I got to, there, oh, what, what did I do now? Okay. So first, we searched out the flaws in our makeup which caused our failure. Being convinced that self manifested in various ways with what had defeated us, we considered its common manifestations. We don't have to make this up because they're telling us what they did. So the common manifestations of self. When I experience certain thoughts, a self manifests. Any of you ever find that somebody you wanted to like you didn't like you, so you thought you would act in a certain way to get them to like you? That, that's an experience of your self-manifesting. So it makes sense? So we're, okay, so what they say is resentment is the number one offender. It destroys more alcoholics than anything else. From it stem all forms of spiritual disease. For we've not only been mentally and physically ill, we've been spiritually sick. Why do we want to focus you on power instead of some theology or some idea that the word God might engender in you. I need power, and I sometimes am troubled by the idea that I'm spiritually sick if I don't believe in those spiritual matters, aren't I? But the truth is, once I take care of the spirit, the mind and body straighten out. Does that make sense? Okay. So it says when the spiritual malady is overcome, we straighten out mentally and physically. In dealing with resentments, we set them on paper. So the first 100, when they deal with resentments in this new manner of living, they set them on paper. How do you deal with resentments? <laughs> on a bar stool with my bartender. Do you understand the changed manner of living? As opposed to just poisoning the consciousness, we're going to start doing something. To, we're going to participate in the casting out. Does it make sense? Okay, so it says, we listed people, institutions, or principles with whom we are angry. We ask ourselves why we are angry. So this is a fairly simple self-examination. People, institutions, principles that make me angry, and then why do they make me angry, right? Two separate columns, one at a time, or you'll get all convoluted, and you won't learn that many of the manifestations are common. In most cases, it was found that our self-esteem, our pocketbooks, our ambitions, our personal relationships, including sex, were hurt or threatened. So we were sore. We were burned up. So those are kind of weird words for us in 2023, because this was written in 1939. But have you ever noticed when you're in real close relationships and then you get disappointed in that relationship, it really makes you angry? So they're talking about all of those things that might come up in my relationships that would have caused the self to manifest. The minute I fear I'm going to lose something or something, maybe it looks like an old experience I already had, then I get angry at it instead of look at what part I might be playing in my own creation. Does it make sense? Yeah. Okay, so it says on our grudge list we said opposite each name our injuries. Was it our self-esteem? our security, our ambitions, our personal or sex relations, which had been interfered with. So when they talk about setting aside my energy injuries, they're not talking about my grievances. They're talking about what it was within me that was affected that caused that self to manifest. I'm trying to go to a lot of detail because there's some of you here that have feared this and I think everyone, when they know what this is, regardless if they have an addictive disorder, the outcome is a sane and sound ideal for all my future relationships. It is a no-brainer. Why would I inventory the store and not inventory my life? Right. 
Does it make sense? Okay. So I'm going to jump to the bottom of that page. It said, we went back through our lives. Nothing counted but thoroughness and honesty. When we were finished, we considered it carefully. So why might I consider carefully what I have discovered about myself? I want to find the truth. Okay. Everyone good with that? Okay. The first thing apparent was that this world and its people were often quite wrong. How many of you discovered that? Didn't need an inventory to figure that out, did we? To conclude that others were wrong was as far as most of us ever got. Any of you relate to them? If I just stay stuck in the grievance, I never move to the solution. Okay. So it says the usual outcome was that people continued to wrong us and we stayed sore. How many of you have been in many unsuccessful relationships with different people with common outcomes? Wouldn't it be nice to find the part you play? Not saying you deserve to be mistreated, but there's some reason I'm gravitating to that. Yes? So it says... Sometimes it was remorse, and then we were sore at ourselves. How many of you behaved badly in a relationship? And it wasn't a healthy relationship, but you went back to that relationship because you felt bad for... Yeah, they call it codependency in our modern era. Way to pick up on that, Sean. It takes people our age to kind of tie those things together. <laughs> But the more we fought and tried to have our own way, the worse matters got. How many of you started struggling? Why me? Why do I do this over and over? Screw me. As in war, the victor only seemed to win. The mo our moments of triumph were short-lived. So now they're going to make a declarative statement. And you may not agree, but see if you do. Those of you that have done some of this work, see if you agree with what they conclude. It is plain that a life which includes deep resentment leads only to futility and unhappiness. Have you determined that? How many of you, even knowing that, have still returned to resentment? Pretty much everyone with a human condition, right? Okay. So to the precise extent that we permit these, do we squander the hours that might have been worthwhile? How many of you have been caught in a thought loop? I think about it, I feel about it, and I, I know this isn't good for me. I, I can't think that way. I better pray for them, and then I'll right back to the loop. You been there? Okay. All right. So, but with the alcoholic, whose hope is the maintenance and growth of a spiritual experience, this business of resentment is infinitely grave. So the reason I call your attention to it, if you've determined you're an addict of the hopeless variety, if you're this alcoholic type, I don't, I'm not here to tell you that's you, but if it is you, those normal human responses that other people get to do, that'll kill me. Maybe you. And it'll definitely injure all the people who care about me. So we found that it's fatal, for when harboring such feelings, we shut ourselves off from the sunlight of the spirit. The insanity of alcohol returns, and we drink again. And with us, to drink is to die. If we were to live, we had to be free of anger. So how many of you reading that think, oh, no, no, I live on anger. Some of us come from a life that anger is what we do. We amplify anger in order to get what we want, right? We turn anger into violence and violence into power. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? Okay. So we're going to need a better set of tools, but we ain't going to lay down what we know until we got a better set of tools and it's going to take a little bit of faith, but we're going to lay it out logically how that happens. Yes? Yeah. Okay. So it says that the grouch and the brainstorm were not for us. So there's the simple part. I need to quit seeding my mind with grouch and brainstorm. Grouch is complaining about every little thing. Brainstorm is acting hastily without due consideration or maybe a sudden fit of rage. Any of you ever launch out on a course of vigorous action without considering the possibilities of outcomes and then found yourself in a bit of a pickle? Yes. Okay. So they tell us they may be the dubious luxury of normal men, but for alcoholics these things are poison. 
This is why it's important that you get a knowledge of your condition so other people are going to behave in ways that humans behave. And you are a human, too. But you have an alcoholic condition, perhaps, like me. And if you do, the way I see other humans behave, it's not going to work out well for me. Any of you decide that maybe if you wanted a life of your own that other people didn't make decisions for you, you were going to have to act differently than you had in the past? You didn't come here if you hadn't made that decision. Those of you that are members here. Okay, so we turn back to the list, for it held the key to the future. So what's the key to the future that my list holds? All of those are true. It holds the truth. It holds the patterns. It holds some identification of some of the ways myself manifests, yeah? All right, so we were prepared to look at it from an entirely different angle. So I've got to start looking at the effects of my action instead of the outcomes. Does it start to make sense? Yes. Okay. So it says, we began to see that the world and its people really dominated us. How many of you have noticed that? As much as you wanted to believe you were fully in charge of your destiny, your surroundings started to suggest that that word's not true. Right. Those of you who came here from prison know that no matter how much you thought you were in charge of your destiny, there were some people who had a different opinion. Yeah. We're going to fix that for you. We, we know a guy. Okay. So, so in that state, the wrongdoing of others, fancied or real, had the power to actually kill. How could we escape? So that's the question, right? If we're finding ourselves there, how could we escape? We saw that these resentments must be mastered, but how? Are you with them on the question? Okay. So it says, we could not wish them away any more than alcohol. That's their experience. They didn't say you couldn't wish them away. Go ahead and try and wish them away. That's what they did. But they discovered that they could not wish them away. How many of you thought you'd lost your resentment? Then you saw someone that reminded you of that resentment? So this was our course. We realized that the people who wronged us were perhaps spiritually sick. Yeah. Well, that would be interesting, wouldn't it? If I started thinking maybe they were similarly afflicted, though we did not like their symptoms and the way these disturbed us, they, like ourselves, were sick too. So what are their symptoms? Resentment, fear, guilt, shame, remorse. Do you relate to them? Selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, fear, guilt, shame, remorse. Maybe, maybe they're suffering from those things too. Think it's possible? So it said, we asked God to help us show... That was good. Should we try again? We asked God to help us show them the same tolerance, pity, and patience that we would cheerfully grant a sick friend. So I'm asking for power... In the moment of my offense, to show them kindness, patience, tolerance instead. Right. Does that make sense? Yes. That's going to require a power greater than me because my immediate human response is to tune them up. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Okay. All right. So how do they do that? Well, they don't, but they tell us who does and they tell us how they access that power. When a person offended, we said to ourselves, this is a sick man. How can I be helpful to him? There's a question mark. Right? You always have to fully concede to your innermost self. The question mark takes me inward instead of outward. Does it make sense? Eyesight without insight, spiritual blindness. I don't even know if they're acting in selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear, or if that's just the lens I'm viewing them from based on a past interaction. There's another book some of you may have read. says, how do you see the speck in your brother's eye when you can't see the plank in your own eye? Better you should move the plank from your eye so you can better see to help your brother. That is the perspective. The plank in my eye from that book is my perspective limited by self. Does that make sense? Okay. So then it says, God save me from being angry. Thy will be done. How many of you have found, without even intentionally going into that practice, that as you grew knowing yourself as sick instead of bad or whatever, 
you started having more tolerance for others and found yourself being kinder than you felt like being. Did you not, when you acted better than you once did and even acted better than you wanted to, did you not realize that there was a power greater in you than you in you helping you with that? So this is a pretty simple thing. This isn't a theology. This is a relationship with a power within you that's going to take you in the new direction. Okay. So it says we avoid retaliation or argument. We wouldn't treat sick people that way. If we do, we destroy our chance of being helpful. So how many of you have decided to tune somebody up and they were not interested in your opinion of their condition? How many of you have gone to them with understanding, without judgment, and said something like, I once thought and felt as you did, but I doubt I'd made much progress had I not taken action. These are the actions I took. You can look at me and see, I ain't you. But I am you. But that guy in me died. And I recognize it in you because he's trying to kill you too. So I want to talk to the one in you that wants to live, and I want to show you another way to live. Does it make sense? Okay. Go ahead, you can clap. It's a manner of living we're talking about. So it says, we cannot be helpful to all people, but at least God will show us how to take a kindly and tolerant view of each and every one. So if God's going to show me, what's my obligation? I'm going to have to take the action, and he's going to let me see his outcome. Does that make sense? Okay. So referring to our list again, putting out of our minds the wrongs others have done, we resolutely look for our own mistakes. Remember we were looking at the world from an entirely different angle? How many of you did a whole inventory, and you found out the common element and all your suffering still came back to be you? I'm not talking about who hurt you with no part in yours, but if you survived it and you're dying of it later, what's your part? Does it make sense? Okay, so where had we been selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and frightened? Though a situation had not been entirely our fault, we tried to disregard the other person involved entirely. How many of you have gone through this and had the help of somebody? Maybe you called them a mentor or a sponsor. How many of you had a hard time disregarding the other person involved entirely without that help? It's really hard. It's hard sometimes to see what our part is without a little help. So where were we to blame? The inventory was ours, not the other man's. When we saw our faults, we listed them. We placed them before us in black and white. We admitted our wrongs honestly and were willing to set these matters straight. That's all happening internally based on facing. Does it make sense? Find, find, face, and then cast aside, right? So it's an ongoing process of finding what's blocking my consciousness of this power to live within me. Yes? Okay. So it says, notice that the word fear is bracketed alongside the difficulties with Mr. Brown, Mrs. Jones, the employer, and the wife. This short word somehow touches about every aspect of our lives. It was an evil and corroding thread. The fabric of our existence was shot through with it. How many of you, I know in our population here, a lot of you don't relate to fear because you've weaponized fear into violence. But how many of you are growing enough spiritually now to know that all of that violence and that manifestation of you pretending to be something you didn't want to be for whatever reason you did it was a fear response. And if you don't know that, that's part of it because it'll get you to where you understand yourself better once you realize you never wanted to be what you started to be in society's eyes or other people's eyes. Am I right or am I in the wrong room? And then after a while, I've been acting this way for so long, I've convinced everyone else, screw it, let's go with it. Yeah? Okay. So it set in motion trains of circumstances which brought us misfortune we felt we didn't deserve. You ever have that happen? But did we not ourselves set the ball rolling? Go inward. 
says, sometimes we think fear ought to be classed with stealing. It seems to cause more trouble. How much time in your lives has fear stolen from you? 50 grand a year. Probably a lot of time, right? Any of you not make a decision that would have been in your best interest out of fear of some, how someone would think about you trying? We reviewed our fears thoroughly. We put them on paper even though we had no resentment in connection with them. So you could have a fear and a manifestation of self that had no resentment in connection with it. So you're going to want a little separate fears inventory to see what... How many of you... I hear it all the time in fellowship meetings. They say, I was never comfortable in my own skin. How many of you really relate to what they're talking about? Like, whatever life's supposed to be, it's way too difficult for me without anesthesia. So I've got some fears that don't necessarily have a... They're about a loss of identity with me. I don't know who I am. I don't know where I belong. Anyone else? So it says, we ask ourselves why we had them. Wasn't it because self-reliance failed us? Another question. How many of you had great self-reliance, went out and willed your way into all kinds of things, and eventually found yourself in a difficulty that you couldn't will your way out of? How many of you were less willing to go exert that much force in the same direction again because of that experience? Like we get discouraged because of outcomes, yes? So self-reliance was good as far as it went, but it didn't go far enough. So I'm talking about I did really good with self-reliance. You guys, many of you have survived very difficult circumstances. You were good with self-reliance, but that wasn't the life you wanted for yourself. Yes? Yes. So it didn't go far enough because i got to be free of me so I'm free to be me, and that includes moving beyond this prison of the skin. Does that make sense? Okay. All right, so some of us once had great self-confidence, but it didn't fully solve the fear problem or any other. When it made us cocky, it was worse. How many of you tried just buffaloing everybody, running through life, just pretending you knew everything and secretly knowing you might not? Okay. So it says, perhaps there's a better way. That'd be nice to hear about, wouldn't it? We think so, for we're now on a different basis. So who's the we they're talking about? The first 100 telling this story. They're on a different basis based on their experience. So I want to tell those of you in the room who have not had this experience, don't quit because we're not, we're not selling hope here. We're selling certainty here based on experience. We love hope, but hope will fade. Certainty is a launch. Right. Yes. Does it make sense? Yes. Somebody who felt that? Yes. I felt you feeling it. Whoever did it. Okay. All right. So, so it says that we're on a different basis, the basis of trusting and relying upon God. Power. We trust infinite God Power. rather than our finite selves. We're in the world to play the role he assigned. Think about that. How many of you, after considering that, have to admit to yourself sometimes it seems like you got kind of crappy assignment? <laughs> so so the, the question isn't did you or did you not get a tough assignment, but who better than you to carry it out? There is absolutely nobody better prepared to live out your destiny than you. Does it make sense? Who's feeling that? Some of you are feeling that. That's the power we call God around here. See how they're interchangeable? Okay. So just to the extent we do as we think he would have us and humbly rely on him, does he enable us to match calamity with serenity? So when the going gets tough, the tough go inward. Because my inheritance is peace. Any of you students of that other book? Peace that passes all understanding. But it ain't out there, it's in here. Do not trade that inheritance for worldly things. Does it make sense? Okay. 
So we never apologize to anyone for depending upon our Creator. That's the first 100. They never apologize. Why? Because we can laugh at those who think spirituality the way of weakness. Paradoxically, it's the way of strength. We're laughing at the idea that we once held ourselves, that spirituality is the way of weakness. When I empower the spirit, number one, I realize this skin suit is just a skin suit. Who I am is not that. Does that make sense? The verdict of the ages is that faith means courage. All men of faith have courage. They trust their God. Are you mesmerized or sleeping? Trust their God. The people in Kingman and Douglas and Perryville and Lewis and wherever else, Safford, Winslow, Yuma, they can't hear you. They trust their God. They're trying to hear you in Saskatchewan tonight, too. We never apologize for God. Instead, we let him demonstrate through us what he can do. Look at the key words, let. I have to turn my thoughts to others because when I'm focused on myself, I'm not letting. Does that make sense? So it says, instead we let him demonstrate through us what he can do. We ask him to remove our fear. God, remove my fear. And direct my attention to what you would have me be. I'm not a doing. I would spend half my life asking God, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And I didn't always get the outcome I wanted. I didn't ask the right question. They don't call me a human doing. They call me a human being. I need to know what state of being I should be operating in. Sometimes I'm told to be patient. Sometimes I'm told to be still. Sometimes I'm told to be quiet. Sometimes I'm told to be faithful. Any of those come resonate with you? Okay. So now it says, now about sex. Oh, we got people laughing, shaking. <laughs> he wants a helping. There you go. Many of us needed an overhauling there. We're really not distributing that here tonight, Sean. But above all, we tried to be sensible on this question. It's easy to get way off the track. Here we find human opinions running to extremes, absurd extremes perhaps. One set of voices cry that sex is a lust of our lower nature, a base necessity of procreation. Then we have the voices who cry for sex and more sex who bewail the institution of marriage, who think that most of the troubles of the race are traceable to sex causes. They think we do not have enough of it or that it isn't the right kind. They see its significance everywhere. Regardless of where you are on that scale, it's still on a scale of lust. Yes? How many of you have had your path forward somewhat derailed because of an overly attentive focus on, yes? How many of you have gone through a bad relationship, realized I'm never doing that again, went the other way? Procreation only. So they said we were a bit extreme. We've probably experienced both, right? So it says they see its significance everywhere. How many of you have been that guy? Every word you hear, I, I can sit with my team still to this day. And someone will say something, they'll string two words together, and we go right down the path of something completely not appropriate. I won't, I won't disclose all of it, but you, I, from the laughter, you all know. Okay, so one school would allow man no flavor for his fare. The other would have us all on a straight pepper diet. We want to stay out of this controversy. We do not want to be the arbiter of anyone's sex conduct. We all have sex problems. So whether I'm thinking it or whether I'm doing it, I want to stay out of that controversy because it's not useful. Does that make sense? We'd hardly be human if we didn't. What can we do about them? So it isn't a matter of whether I have them, you have them. 
The answer is, if it's caused me problems in the past, it's led me into things that have caused me to harm people, which was not my intent. Any of you ever harmed somebody just trying to take care of you and then convinced yourself that you were God's gift to them? And <laughs> so it says, we reviewed our own conduct over the years past. Where had we been selfish, dishonest, or inconsiderate? Now that's not too hard, right? Selfish, I thought more of me than of them. Dishonest isn't so much the lie I tell outwardly, but I may chase that in. It's the lie I tell me that allows me to mistreat another human being. Does that make sense? I need to know that. I can't possibly be outwardly honesty, honest if I can't get inwardly honest. Does that make sense? So you don't even have to focus out there. It's got to be honest with me. That's how I'm going to access the spirit. So then it says, whom had we hurt? Did we unjustifiably arouse jealousy, suspicion, or bitterness? Where, where were we at fault? What should we have done instead? We got this all down on paper and looked at it. So if you want to know basically what you're going to do for the rest of your life in a tenth step, it's going to be that, those same things in all your relationships. Does it make sense? Yeah. They're going to learn it in four, but this isn't just about sex. It's in all your human relationships with people, institutions, principles. Okay. So it says, in this way, we tried to shape a sane and sound ideal for our future sex life. How many of you would like to have a sane and sound ideal for your future sex life? Like 12 of you, the rest of you are lying. If I took the word sex out of it, would we get more hands? Because that just makes us squishy, right? So a, a shape a sane and sound ideal for all my future relationships. Because right. listen, why are we not doing a regular inventory? If I'd go to the business I own and I'd inventory everything and count every penny because I wanted to be successful, why would I not do that with my life? Regardless of an addictive disorder. Or a behavioral disorder. Okay, so says that we subjected each relationship, or each relation to this test. Was it selfish or not? Right. Now that can be tricky. Remember you're going inward. How many of you convinced yourself that what you were doing was indeed anointed? <laughs> I, don't, I can't speak for anyone here, but I have convinced myself that I was engaged on a selfless quest when everyone knew I was delusional. But they, we've added the component of the power within, haven't we? So when I go inward, I'm accessing that power, am I not? And I may not be empowered to act right, but I'll definitely know right even when I act wrong. How many of you have had that experience? Okay. That's growth, because we didn't always know that. All right, so we ask God to mold our ideals. We ask God to mold our ideals. We, we need power to mold our ideals, guys, and help us live up to them. It's not enough to have an ideal. I got to move into it. When I start asking to be delivered, when I start asking for a different life, I've got to walk into it as if I already see it. How many of you learned that? How many of you took it down a ways? Homelessness, incarceration, multiple hospitalization. Did you notice when you finally really decided and started making a decision to live differently, you had to walk it out before your circumstances changed? What was that but a walk of faith? Okay. All right, so we remembered always that our sex powers were God-given. And therefore good. Neither to be used lightly or selfishly, nor to be despised and loathed. Whatever our ideal turns out to be, we must be willing to grow toward it. Now don't take that use of the word must as a rule, because they've already told you it's suggestive. What they're telling you is you shouldn't have gone this far, you wouldn't have gone this far if you didn't want to grow. So obviously, if I'm setting this down as my ideal, based on my experience, 
Duh, I must be willing to row toward it. Yes? Okay. We must be willing to make amends where we've done harm. Same thing, right? If I know, because someone's explained to me, an important part of the fitness is the making of amends. In fact, the entire process is preparing me for the big amends, which is using what I thought a wasted life to avert suffering for others. Then I must be willing to grow toward it or I wouldn't be digging up all this nonsense. How many of you have tried to sponsor someone who said, I don't want to dig all that up again? <laughs> I understand, but we're not digging for trash, guys. We're digging for treasure. Right. The great reality. It's just covered in trash. And it's because I haven't been authentic with the power within me, therefore I can't be authentic with any of you. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. All right, so... So that we do not bring about still more harm in so doing. In other words, we treat sex as we would any other problem. So we've made it over the years in our fellowship a big deal about sex. Sex is not a big deal unless it's a big deal in your story. But the reality is it's, it's every relationship I have with people, institutions, or principles. And I, I'll find that I've treated them all similarly based on my Willingness to compromise your well-being to get what I wanted and feel justified in it. Anyone else know what I'm talking about? Okay. So it says in meditation, we ask God what we should do about each specific matter. Remember, I'm going to have a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, and then I'm going to try and practice these principles in all my affairs. I'm going to have to ask in each specific matter, it's not just my sexual relationships, it's how I talk to you, how I think about you, how I walk and acknowledge you even when we don't have any reason to engage. How I treat institutions or principles that are in authority over me. Does it make sense? Okay. So then it says, the right answer will come if we want it. They kind of left that hanging there, didn't they? The right answer will come. What's the condition? And what happens if we don't want it? Sometimes it doesn't come. Sometimes it comes and we quickly think we can improve upon it. Any of you ever hear from the infinite? Said this is what you should do? Oh, no, no, no. You, you do not understand the complexities of my particular situation. Any of you ever talk yourself into some bullshit? Come on, tell me. Okay. So what they're suggesting is let's, let's go to the one who already knows. God alone can judge our sex situation. Counsel with other persons is often desirable. Guys, they're talking about everything. Don't get it twisted about sex. You're going to want to start growing in this, your relationships to all kinds of worldly things so that you start having better outcomes. Yes? And sometimes we get overly dependent. I like to point this out because I've worked with a lot of different people with justice involvement, and then one day the, the ankle monitor comes off. And they're like, oh, man, they're taking my monitor off. I think I'm going to get high. Hmm. Did you ever get high when you didn't have a monitor? Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> Did you ever stay clean when you didn't have a monitor? Oh, yeah. So it really doesn't seem to be the monitor. <laughs> I had a guy tell me one time, hey, man, the halfway house is caught up. They're going to let me start taking my paycheck home. Will you hold my money? Did you guys ever hear that theory? Oh, yeah. I said, you ever get high when you didn't have money? Oh, yeah. You get high when you did have money? Oh, yeah. Okay. Maybe we ought to inventory your relationship with money. Because you obviously think that money holds more power over your outcomes than it does. Does it make sense? All right. So, but we let God be the final judge. We <laughs> I couldn't trick him that time. You're on it. So we realize that some people are as fanatical about sex as others are loose. We avoid hysterical thinking or advice. Now they want us to get a little contemplative. Suppose we fall short of the chosen ideal and stumble. Any of you ever fear moving forward 
because you think, uh, I failed before. Come on, who's the people that took it way down? Like, close to death, revived, insanity, institutionalization. Any brethren in the room? Based on my past outcomes, there was no reason for me to ever try again. You understand what I'm trying to say to you? I was empowered and lifted out of that deplorable state of mind. And if you're in the sound of my voice and you need that, it's here. Does that make sense? And, and, and it's for the purpose of doing for another 400 men and women what you see me doing here. For this, You know what? We just had our anniversary here at New Freedom. How many of you know that? Sunday, October the 1st, marked three years of programming. Many of us, Karen was here, Lance was here, Trina was here, a lot of, I, I can't name them all, Wayne, Maddie. We were all here in the early humble days, and we've treated, Tyler, we've treated over 4,000 men and women here, and if they graduated, only 5% of them have been reincarcerated. If they did not graduate, but they engaged with us, only 17% of them have been reincarcerated. The national average is north of 50 for decades now. So what I want to tell you is this is what we're talking about right here. This is a new situation. You're standing in new power. You didn't get here unless you were chosen to be here. And you may think you were chosen by a mentor, but that mentor was guided by the power we're talking about. And every clinician, every intake specialist, every peer support, every transportation driver you encounter, when they tell you welcome home, they mean it. Because you are home, this is your home, this is your community, this is your people, and while you're catching up with who you are and whose you are, we're just going to keep walking with you and reminding you of it. So it says, does this mean we're going to get drunk? Some people tell us so, but this is only a half-truth. It depends on us and our motive. Now that I'm empowered in the spirit, I'm... My, ex- my expectation, the part I play in my recovery, is to check my motives. How many of you have forgot to check your motives in other life situations? Okay, so, so the more I get disciplined in checking my motives, watching for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear, then the likelihood is my outcomes are going to get better, aren't they? And if I continue to engage in communities of like-minded people, my activities to do better are going to be further amplified because of the atmospherics in which I find myself, are they not? You might hear me describing communities of believers. I'm just trying not to prejudice anyone who ain't there yet. But it's not by accident you hear praise playing here 24-7. Because we know spirits come here. Okay, but this is only a half-truth. It depends on us and our motives. If we're sorry for what we've done and have the honest desire to let God take us to better things, we will believe we'll be forgiven we'll have learned our lesson. How many of you read the condition? How many of you have been sorry for what you've done but didn't necessarily have the honest desire to set it right? Or maybe even never contemplated what it would take to set it right? So I'm going to have to grow in that, aren't I? If we're sorry and our if we're not sorry and our conduct continues to harm others, we're quite sure to drink. So guys, if if I can't live in this world the way I'm wired without being anesthetized, and I think by taking away that anesthesia, I'm just going to do an about face. It's silly in light of my experience. 
I don't live well without some kind of ease and comfort flowing in and through me. Does that make sense? But I have been pointed in a direction from whence ease and comfort can be found from within me instead of going out in the world for it. Not a theology, a fact from their experience. Some of you have shared that experience with me in here tonight, yes? Okay. So we're not theorizing, these are facts out of our experience. To sum up about sex, we earnestly pray for the right ideal. When they say earnestly pray, what's that mean? We earnestly pray. Yeah, they probably had sex problems and obsessive thoughts just like you. And yet, they've grown beyond that and they've started living differently. They probably made a few mistakes so they wouldn't have a when wrong, promptly admitted it step, would they? For guidance in each questionable situation, for sanity and for strength to do the right thing. Don't ever forget to ask for strength to do the right thing. If you get an answer that you don't feel you're empowered to do, that's okay. It's just an admission of personal powerlessness. His strength is made perfect in your weakness. Ask for it. Does that make sense? If sex is very troublesome, we throw ourselves the harder into helping others. We think of their needs and work for them. I'm trying to grow my perspective. It's not always about me. It's more than likely about you or many other people and not me at all. How many of you lived a difficult life up until now? If you don't know that you lived it for a higher purpose, that's unbearable at times, isn't it? I look at Maddie and Christian sitting there. This got to us after doing a life sentence in the penitentiary. You know what they spent it doing? Serving and lifting other people up. This takes us out of ourselves. It quiets the imperious urge when to yield would mean heartache. If we've been thorough about our personal inventory, we've written down a lot. How many of you found that you had quite a lengthy story? How many of you didn't have such a lengthy story and thought maybe you did it wrong? You can't do it wrong. Some people have a long story, some people don't. Some people can't write. How many of you couldn't write and someone wrote for you? If you you get sick enough, you can't write. It wasn't that I was that sick here. I was... I was a bit of a drinker. Dad said, find something you're good at and stick to it. <laughs> Damn near killed me. Um, we've begun to comprehend their futility and their fatality. We've commenced to see their terrible destructiveness, and we've begun to learn tolerance, patience, and goodwill toward all men, even our enemies, for we look upon them as sick people. See how they're talking about beginnings? The first step of action is this inventory of myself. Get the facts about myself so I'm properly armed as I go out to testify. And I may not testify with this, I'll testify with a new humility and a new glow knowing of my own redemption. Right? You hear me louder when I'm not talking and you just see me walking trying to lift people up. Right? Okay. So we've listed people we've hurt by our conduct and we're willing to straighten out the past if we can. In this book, you read again and again that faith did for us what we could not do for ourselves. What did they say, did it? Faith. Gonna, you're going to have to activate that faith. You're going to have to activate that faith because faith will do it. I see myself healed long before the world sees me healed. We hope you're convinced now that God can remove from you whatever self-will has blocked you off from him. If you're not convinced by looking at the facts, then keep moving through the rest of the process, right? Tell another, start the making of amends, start helping others. Because we don't know, you're going to have a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, but we can't tell you when. If you start helping others, maybe you have your step two when someone else has theirs. I was so dead in the spirit The guy that took me through the steps pointed out to me what was happening in me, but I was not able to emote at that time. So he emoted. I saw his emotion, and it was what I thought I should be feeling, but I wasn't. I was dead in the spirit. 
And now I cry like a baby. Ask Carrie Ann. She and I cry. <laughs> Wayne, too. So we're convinced now that God can remove whatever self-will has blocked you off from him. If you've already made a decision, and you wouldn't be at this stage of the book had you not, yeah? And an inventory of your grosser handicaps. So now we've gone through the instruction. We're ready to make an inventory of our grosser handicaps. You've made a good beginning. That being so, you've swallowed and digested some big chunks of truth about yourself. That's it. Next week we'll look at five.